0: Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. I love the description of the gospel at the end of that last song. It's a joy uh, to sing it with one another, isn't it? As we think about gospel truth and the way it binds us, uh, we want to consider the way that gospel shapes our love. Uh, Not only does the gospel save us as we learn about the one who loves us, but the gospel shapes the way we view people, the way we see one another. And that's true in the church, but that's true outside of the church as well. I think we have to admit pretty early on that As much as we want to love people well, it's a struggle sometimes. (laughs) We've heard people say uh, before, church would be great if it weren't for the people, right? I I encourage you during the singing to look around the room at your brothers and sisters in Christ who are are singing from the heart, but at the same time, you might be seeing the person who took your parking spot. You might see those people who are sitting in your seat, You might be wishing that maybe not as many had come today, so the hallway would be less crowded and the parking lot would be less uh, congested. This would all be a lot more comfortable if less people came, wouldn't it? People are the worst. I don't mean that. But it's easy to develop these kinds of sinful attitudes, isn't it? They lurk just beneath the surface. We often think this way of others. But in Romans, the Apostle Paul writes to these believers he'd never met before with a deep, heartfelt love, a desire to be with them and to minister not just to them, but even as he sort of corrects himself, to be mutually encouraged by the faith that they share in common. You see, this love comes from an understanding of the gospel gospel teaches us to see people a certain way. Everyone on the earth is either a person who needs to hear the gospel or needs to grow in the gospel, right? And if Jesus died for everybody, then everyone is worthy of my love and this desire to share that truth of the gospel with them. And this is what really compels Paul in today's text. Well, we're still in the introduction to the letter. This could still be considered that section of the letter of the the book of Romans, as we call it, that, that Paul is still kind of getting the context and why he's writing to them. And in fact, you could call verses 16 and 17, the last two verses of our text this morning, you could call those really the theme of the book. It's like his introduction is leading to those, and he lays out his theme, here's why I'm writing, and the rest of the book will kind of unfold that theme for the believer's In Rome. But even as he expresses his gratitude for these believers, the gospel remains the focus, and we're going to notice how his his view of them is shaped by gospel truth. So, this is our goal today as we study this text, is to let the gospel shape my love, shape your love for all people. Let the gospel shape the way that you see others, the way you interact with them. And that's especially true in the church in a gathering like this. But it's just as true out in the world, the way we see people and how we interact with them with that goal of sharing gospel truth with them as well. So we want to see today how the gospel is going to shape our love for all people. And we're going to track along with Paul as we, we see how he expresses his own heart and what we learn from his heart and the ways that we can reflect that as well in our own lives. So what's the first way that we can let the gospel shape our love for all people? Number one, we can enjoy the strong, deep fellowship produced by faith in the gospel to delight in the deep fellowship that the gospel creates in this group of believers. And that's, that's where Paul starts, as he begins by talking about the Roman church, these Roman believers. And even without, even without meeting them, he really wants to go to see them and to be with them and to be an encouragement to them. This will all come up in verses 8 through 12, his desire to be with them and to encourage them. To enjoy the fellowship among believers. Paul begins in verse 8 by giving thanks to God. I thank my God, he says, through Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't use the word gospel, but already the gospel's coming up because Paul's acknowledging that the only right he has to even give thanks to God is through the work of Jesus Christ, through what Jesus Christ has done for him. So, even his ability to give thanks for these other believers is rooted in the gospel through Jesus Christ. And so, we continue in verse 8, for you all, every one of the believers in Rome, Paul gives thanks to God for them. Yes, even the difficult believer in Rome, even the one with all the quirks, yes, Even that believer who's still got a lot of sanctification work to have done in his life, right? Paul's thankful for all of them. Why? Because of their faith. He says, I give thanks to my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, of course, the whole world is... uh, We have to understand that as you know where Paul has been, right? He hasn't been everywhere in the world yet at this point, but he's traveled through quite a bit of the Roman Empire at this point. And so it's safe to say much of the world has heard of the faith in Rome of these believers. Let's think about that for a second. The testimony that these Roman citizens have trusted in Christ as Savior has spread. People know they're believers. Now, it's not stated explicitly, but it kind of begs the question in my mind, how did that happen, right? Something changed in their lives and it was visible. Isn't this what the gospel does? It doesn't just save us, it changes us. So, all of a sudden, our faith becomes visible. It's evidenced in the way we live, in the way we work, in the way we talk. And so, quickly, the change that occurred in these Roman believers was seen and spread and people knew about it. And it came to Paul and he said, praise God, the gospel has made its way to Rome. Which reminds us in a beautiful way, as much evangelizing as the apostle Paul did, the church didn't grow because of Paul. It grew because of God and his work through the message of the gospel. And it, it did it. God did the work. And these believers in Rome had trusted in Christ. So, Paul says in verse 9, th- with God as his witness, <laughs> that he really wants to pray for them and to come see them. And he mentions this in a number of ways. He, he references God, and this is almost a way of just making sure that the Roman believers really believe his heart. This is, this is true. God can be my witness who knows my heart that I really do pray for you. He mentions, even there, the God whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. So, there, the gospel comes up again. I'm calling upon God as my witness, the very God that from my deepest person, my spirit, I serve, I, I, I spread the gospel for His glory. And He can witness that without ceasing, I make mention of you in my prayers. That phrase, without ceasing, we might use the word, uh, you know, just constantly, and so, it's a, there, there's a sense of hyperbole to it. Uh, you might say, like in the wintertime, my my nose is just running constantly, right? Well, okay, if we went back and looked, it might not actually be every second that your nose was running, but we, you know how we use terms like that. So, this, without ceasing, that phrase can actually be translated constantly. It's a, the same kind of wording, okay? And so, Paul's saying, I'm just, I'm constantly praying for you constantly praying for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So every time he prays, every time he brings to the Lord, he's praising God, he's thanking God for the Roman believers there. But not just that, verse 10 tells us that he's also asking the Lord that it would be his will to be able to go and visit them. He's asking that God would open the door or there would be some way in the will of God to come see the Roman believers. And he, he's going to later point out that he tried and was often hindered. As we know, having studied the book of Acts, there were all sorts of hindrances that Paul faced, right? Shipwrecks and persecution and, and you name it. But even there, Paul recognizes the sovereign will of God, and it just wasn't what God had for Paul to make it to Rome yet. So he says in verse 11, "'I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift,' so that you may be established. This spiritual gift is I don't think it's so much it's like what we think of as in the New Testament as the lists of spiritual gifts that there are because those are often in the plural. This is just in fact you could translate it this way to impart to you a gift of the spiritual sort. And I think what he means is I just want to I want to bless you spiritually. I want to encourage you spiritually. He wants to be a blessing among them to help establish them, as the end of verse 11 says. But verse 12 is so interesting. He almost takes a a step back. It's like, I want to encourage you and establish you. But then he steps back a second and he remembers some gospel truth here in verse 12. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith that we both have. You see, this isn't the great Paul looking down on these lowly, new, young Roman believers. Yes, he wants to be among them, and he wants to encourage them and lift them up, but verse 12 is just like this rich gospel truth. where It's actually just Paul the believer wanting to be mutually encouraged with the Roman believers. They're on the same plane. And he says, I, just, I want us both to be mutually encouraged by the same faith that you have and that I have. So let's talk and rejoice in the gospel and encourage one another. And this is really the heart of why Paul wants to be with him. It's not the great Paul, well, you really aren't truly a strong believer until the great Paul has come and preached to you. No, no, no. It's just, hey, let's just be encouraged together because we believe the same things. We believe in a Savior who died and rose again for our sins and that by faith we're forgiven and granted the righteousness of God. Let's rejoice in that together. And encourage one another with that. So Paul's excited to enjoy strong, deep fellowship rooted in the faith of the gospel with these Roman believers. And I think that's the right thing for us as well. To delight in the fellowship we have in the gospel. The church is not about uh, levels or stratuses or who's here and who's high and who's low and who's mature and who's immature and who just got saved and who's been saved a long time and who's really great, and who's rich and who's poor and all these status symbols. It's just whoop. We just trust in Jesus. We love to fellowship with one another because of it. That's it, that's who we are. The rest doesn't matter. And that becomes the root and the source of the deep fellowship in the church. Uh, Yesterday, there was a crew of us here at the church setting up uh, the chairs for worship today, and we just had a ton of fun. Um, By the way, if you haven't had a chance to sign up uh, to set up chairs, uh, this isn't meant to be an advertisement, it's actually meant to be an application of this passage. It's just fun, actually. Uh, to work together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the chairs just happen to get set up. It's kind of cool. Um, but if you want to come out and join us on a Saturday, that'd be great. We have a good time. So, um, so anyway, yesterday we were working on that and I'd put some music on. Uh, we have a, a playlist of the hymns we sing here in church. Uh, and so I had that playing in the background. And while we were working, at one point there was a, a song that came on it's actually Jesus Paid It All, and uh, I, I began kind of humming along because I, I, love, I love that song. It's a great one, right? And I paused in my humming for a second, and I noticed uh, noises around the room. Like others of our group were humming along to Jesus Paid It All. And having just studied this passage, I paused for a moment. And I just kind of looked around and was like, this is so cool, like the people in the room, you know, we we really didn't have a lot in common, right? I mean, it's just we weren't gathered because we all love the bears, right? I think I was, uh, apart from my wife who has converted, I think I was the only true Bears fan in the room. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't that we had a lot in common. It was just we're just here setting up chairs. But then Jesus paid it all. Comes comes on the on the speakers and. Mm. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It was just fun to think about the fact that around the room, we held that in common. I believe that. They believed it. It's just a little thing, like humming together. But you see, the deep fellowship that we have in the church, who cares what team we root for or where we work or what we do or any of that? Jesus paid it all, so we find our fellowship in that, don't we? I love that. Enjoy the strong, deep fellowship produced by faith in the gospel. And as we see, this this leads to a number of things in the church. Paul points them out. He does them himself. The first is thanksgiving. So I wonder if your enjoyment of that fellowship has led to thanksgiving in your life where where you're giving thanks to God for the people in the church. This one was convicting to me. Am I giving thanks for people in the church more often than I'm maybe wishing so-and-so was a little different or whatever, right? To be thankful for one another, to pray through the, the church directory and just give thanks to God that God led so-and-so to faith in Christ. To praise God for the evidences of faith that we see among each other. Evidences like Confession of sin and sacrificial service and acts of devotion to God and faithfulness in church and evangelism and discipleship and partaking of the Lord's Supper together and fruit of the Spirit being lived out. And as you see those evidences of genuine salvation in people, just, just give thanks to God. God, thank you for saving people. Thanks for saving this person and that person and that person and me, right? Right? This also leads to more prayer in the life of the church. Paul says, I, I'm constantly praying for you. These believers he hadn't even met yet. But this deep fellowship is enjoyed as we pray for one another. I wonder how often do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I would encourage you not only to pray for the things we find in our caring post. Our caring post is our, our Wednesday night prayer list that we distribute. And I encourage you to, to take that and to track that and to pray for one another. But I also want to point something out about that. Our, Our caring post, for the most part, is the list of things that we want, which is really good to pray for. It's good to pray for those things. But I'd encourage you to take it even a step further and pray Scripture for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray what God wants. Open up to passages like the book of Romans or Ephesians or any number of New Testament passages or the Psalms are really good and Pray scripture about and for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that the good will of God would be unfolded in their lives in a way that brings Him glory. Another great opportunity to grab the church directory, download it from our online directory, print it off, or just use it on your phone and pray through your brothers and sisters in Christ here at the church. This creates a a longing to be together, a, a mutual faith where we are imparting encouragement to one another. Uh, this is rooted a lot in, uh, in, our, in our conversations and what we talk about, how we interact with each other. Is, is it rooted in gospel truth? Here, here are just some questions that you could use to interact regarding the gospel with one another. Okay, so we've trusted in Christ, and we know that means we are to grow. So here's a question you could ask. What about God's character have you found encouraging recently? As you've been reading, as you've been praying, as you've been thinking, what about God's character have you found encouraging recently? Here's another one. What stood out to you from the sermon text today, the the passage of Scripture? What, What stood out to you from that text of Scripture today? Or this one, what promises of God have you been leaning on recently? Or here's another one, how has the gospel amazed you or surprised you recently? These are ways that we can talk with one another about how God is at work and enjoy the deep fellowship that's rooted in the truth we believe together about Jesus Christ. Mutual encouragement, imparting grace to one another. The last thing I want to mention about this deep fellowship is just the reality that your spiritual life is the business of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we develop the mentality that, you know, it's, it's a very personal thing. And it is. I have to personally believe the gospel myself, right? It's my choice, my decision. But one of the gospel truths that God teaches us in Scripture is that when I believe the gospel. I become a member of the family of God. I have suddenly gained hundreds of thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ, some of them gathered in this room. And my spiritual life, my spiritual growth is your business. You have the right to ask me anything about my relationship with God and vice versa. We often think of it as a very personal thing, but it's actually the business of the church as we help each other walk with God, as we fellowship in our deep mutual faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Be prepared to open up about what God is teaching you and how you are growing and the struggles you're facing. It's so so tempting to think that what church is is that we just try to come and show everybody how mature we are. Oh, that they never find out that I might have sinned this week, right? That's not it. It's actually the other way. Share with one another. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another so that we can help each other grow, so we can say, oh, here's what I'm battling this week, here's what the Lord's been doing in my life, would you pray for me? And what's been encouraging to you in this area recently? Because the great Apostle Paul just says to these Roman believers, hey, I just want to come to you and encourage one another by the faith we share in common. Let's be a blessing in each other's lives. Let's talk. Let's grow together. Long for that deep fellowship produced by faith in the gospel. Number two, today we're going to see in the next verses that we can long for the harvest that comes from preaching the gospel. And here's where our eyes lift from not just the local church, but beyond that to the world. And Paul's going to describe his his longing to see more people come to Christ, as well as to see the Roman believers grow in their faith in Christ. And so notice in verses 13 through 15 how Paul longs for the fruit that comes from preaching the gospel. First of all, in verse 13, he says he, he wants them to be aware that he planned to come to them many times, but was hindered. And of course, this is with the acknowledgement of God's sovereign will, kind of behind the scenes, uh, allowing that not to happen. Why did he want to come, though? Do you notice the phrase at the end of verse 13? Verse 13. He wanted to come to them that he might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Now, it could sound at first like, you know, Paul just wants more accolades to his name, right? I, I just want people to know that I helped you to grow by coming to preach. No, no, no. I think Paul's just talking about the general harvest. He, he's working for God. This is what Paul has been called to do, to preach the gospel So the nations will believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. That word uh, Gentiles just means nations or ethnicities. And it's often used in Scripture particularly for, you know, uh, talking about those who are not Jews. So like the other nations, they're the Jews and then the other nations. And so Paul is saying, look, God hasn't even called me particularly to preach to the Jews. He's called me to preach to all people so that even the Gentiles, even those from other nations would, would trust in Christ as Savior. There would be fruit from the preaching of the gospel. And so in verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, wise and unwise. And his debt is not actually to those individuals, It's been very clear already in the book of Romans, his debt is to God, right? All the way back in verse 1, Paul said, I'm a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, set apart to the gospel of God. So his debt was to the Lord, but it was paid to those who hadn't heard the gospel. And so for the Lord, he would preach the gospel to everybody. And these distinctions are interesting here. Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise. I think the common thread is that of respect. And this culture was uh, what we could call an honor-shame culture. Some were were honored. They were seen as higher because of whatever, their education or their background, their nationality and so forth. And others were shamed because of their background. And Paul's just kind of wiping both categories off the table. He's like, Greeks, which were highly honored for their, for their wisdom and, you know, all of this, the, the uh, antiquity that came along with being Greek, but also barbarians, and, and the word is literally barbarian, it was often used in terms of anybody who is foreign, right, so he's just like, hey, I'll preach to anybody because God loves them all and they all need the gospel. Then he says, wise and unwise, another uh, honor-shame distinction here. Those who are considered very smart, sure, I'll preach to them. Those who are considered foolish, I'll preach to them, right? They all need the gospel. And he actually says, I'm a debtor. To God, for all people to preach and share. Verse 14 has a bit of encouragement. No matter where we land on these spectrums <laughs> the gospels for me god wants me and you to believe in the lord jesus christ as savior and so then he says in verse 15 so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And here he focuses back on the church. Yes, he's going to preach it to anybody and everybody that, in hopes that they come to Christ as Savior. But he also, in verse 15, is focused on their local church, which may have been uh, gatherings in multiple homes. We talked about that last week. There's at least one gathering in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. And so Paul wants to make his way around to these, these gatherings of believers to share the gospel with them. He says, as much as is in me, I'm ready. He's fired up. He can't wait to get there and to share the gospel with them, not so that they become saved. These are already believers, but so that they would grow and be encouraged in the faith that they share in common. Paul is excited about the harvest, the growth that comes from preaching the gospel. There is something exciting about passing something on to somebody else. Maybe you've had the opportunity to teach someone else how to do something. And there really is a sense of joy uh, when you see them be successful at it, right? You you show them how it works. You make minor corrections here and there. You go, well, try it this way instead. Okay, now it's your turn. You give it a shot. And they do it, and it works. There's a sense of, of joy and excitement that comes from that. And I think that helps us grasp a little bit of the way Paul's excited about the, the harvest that would come from passing along the gospel, more truth, more understanding of what it all means, and to see these believers grow up in Christ. I, I remember thinking about that idea of passing things along when I was in um, junior high. Uh, some of you know, uh, well, I just have to say, the greatest running back ever Walter Payton, (laughs) Uh, if you're not a Bears fan, you may think somebody else was a better running back. I don't know. But anyway, he's, uh, we'll say, debatably the the greatest running back ever, Walter Payton. Played for the Chicago Bears. Uh, His son, uh, Jarrett, actually grew up in Arlington Heights, the same town that I grew up in and went to high school in Arlington Heights, a different high school than I. He was four years ahead of me. So I was just getting ready to enter high school when he was in a, a local high school nearby. And there was all this conversation. Is he going to be as good as his dad, right? Did he learn everything from the greatest running back ever? You know, he's got the genetics. Does he have the, the skills mentally? And he played both soccer and football, uh, at that the, the other high school there in Arlington Heights and so there's all these questions of how how good he will, would be well now history has unfolded he did play professional football for a brief amount of time but is not on any list of the greatest uh, running backs ever ah what what went wrong maybe dad just didn't share everything with him or you know what was it why why didn't he grasp it all There's that sense of of hoping that we can pass those things along, but when it comes to the gospel, we're talking about a category where there really is power, where it really does change people. So it's not kind of this like, I I I hope Jared has the same skill that his father had, and I hope it works out, but no, with the gospel, it really has power to change people. There really is a harvest that God brings as the gospel is preached, both in the lives of unbelievers, and in the lives of believers. It makes a difference. And it's almost as if the readers are wondering that very question, and Paul says, oh, well, let me tell you what the rest of this letter is about. And he gets to verses 16 and 17 and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. There is a harvest There is a change, there is fruit that comes from preaching the gospel, and Paul was excited to preach the gospel among them so they could experience that harvest. Well, the question is, what does that look like in our church? We're not the Apostle Paul, right? We're not all called to be this missionary to everywhere in the world, and yet we do know the gospel. And there is this sense of obligation before the Lord that knowing this truth from Him, He wants me to share it with others. And though I'm not an apostle, each of us is called to be a witness, to evangelize, to share the lost. And so this preaching of the gospel becomes the key to our evangelism. Our, our mission is not just social justice or political change. Our mission is to share the gospel with all people. And so missions work must be gospel-centered, meaning the goal is to, cle- to clearly preach the gospel message. But this is also our goal in our personal relationships, not just to generally show love, but with the aim of being able to share the gospel. The gospel message is that power of God that saves. This is also key to discipleship, See, Paul is concerned here not only for everyone in Rome to hear the gospel, but he's also wanting to preach the gospel specifically in the church. And so the gospel is important for growth in Christ as well. As we help one another become more mature believers, sharing the gospel, studying the gospel, teaching the gospel to one another ought to be part of that. And this true harvest that we're after is indeed spiritual growth. Finally, we come to verses 16 and 17, where we really see how the gospel has shaped Paul's love for all people. And we're going to put it this way in our third point. We too need to develop the boldness that's rooted in the power of the gospel. Develop the boldness that's rooted in the power of the gospel. Paul has moved from his desire to be with them to to the reason he wants to be with them, to preach the gospel, and finally now he shares the reason that he wants to preach the gospel so boldly. It's because he's not ashamed of it. It's the power of God, and it reveals the righteousness of God. He says in verse 16, in, in in a statement we all know well, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, some of your texts say. Paul's bold about it. He's ready to share the gospel message, and we've talked about it many times, that message that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. There's no shame for Paul there. He's ready to boldly proclaim it. But why, we might ask, he says next, for it is the power of God to salvation. God has given that message Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. God's given that message, power to save. And that word salvation implies that there's a problem, that we're sinners condemned under the wrath of God in need of God's salvation. And God has specifically given the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, power to save us from our death problem, our sin problem. But who is this For? Who will God save with the gospel? Everyone who believes. Not a great statement? Everyone who believes. You can go back to Paul's earlier words, it doesn't matter whether you're Greek or barbarian. Everyone who believes. This gospel message Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose again is for everybody and it's applied to people. It saves people when they believe, when they trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, Paul goes on to explain that it's for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. We read that today in modern-day terms, and we think, well, why in the world would Paul point that out there? Well, as you're going to see, Much of the book of Romans focuses on the unity that the gospel creates in the church in cases where there might be disunity. And the Roman church specifically was made up of mostly non-Jew believers, Gentile believers. But we also find out in the book of Romans that there were Jewish believers in the church as well, and they just were having trouble figuring out how to be unified together, how to get along Even before Paul got there, he understood the tension between Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church. And so even here in the introduction, we begin to see how this is going to come into play through the book of Romans, how the gospel brings unity even among Jews and Gentiles. So what he's mentioning here is that, yes, the gospel started with Jews, right? Think about the promises in Scripture that Paul refers to here uh, in the introduction, if you look back at uh, verses 2 and 3 which He promised before through His prophets in the Holy scriptures. So this gospel plan has been God's plan from the beginning. Who were those prophets, and who were those promises given to? It was Israel. And so just pointing out the history, that this was all for the Jews first, but God did something great, and the great mystery of the gospel, the great revealing of the gospel is that God would make salvation available to all people. And so He says, yes, to the Jew first, but also for the Greek. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And so he's already building the foundation for how he's going to help the Jews and Gentiles find unity in the gospel later throughout the letter. So the final question that the text answers for us is this. Okay, so Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Why is this gospel so powerful to save? Well, that's the question he answers in verse 17. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Why is this gospel so powerful to save? Because it reveals the righteousness of God. It starts there. Righteousness of God, of course, refers to the fact that God does nothing wrong. He's holy. He's pure. He's just. Everything he does is right. But Paul doesn't leave the definition of righteousness of God there because It leads to something next. Notice what happens with the righteousness of God. It's revealed from faith to faith. So this revelation of the righteousness of God means that also God makes righteous by faith. That phrase, from faith to faith, is difficult to pin down exactly what it means. There are a few other passages of Scripture that use that phraseology, from from death to death, from life to life. And the idea, I think, is that it's like a spectrum. And so Paul's saying from faith to faith, which means that it's only faith. (laughs) Everything in the spectrum between faith and faith, which is faith. Right, you got it. So it's only faith that brings this righteousness of God to bear on a person's life. And so the Apostle Paul actually quotes from Habakkuk, 2.4. 2.4. Have you ever used Habakkuk in sharing the gospel? Well, there you go. Now you have another resource. Romans 1.17 quotes Habakkuk 2.4, where it says, the just shall live by faith. Paul's pointing out that salva- the salvation of God among his people has always been by faith. The new information that he's sharing in the book of Romans is specifically the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And that that salvation is applied to a person's life. The righteousness of God is applied to a person's life when they believe in that gospel message, when they trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, here's the incredible thing about the righteousness of God. The final phrase the just shall live by faith in at least the New King James Version. I didn't look up the other versions, but the word order there makes it sound as if those who are already just should order their lives by faith. And that's true. In fact, that's one of the themes of the book of Habakkuk faith should leave, lead our lives. But the word construction here is actually different. Those who are just by faith shall live. Those who have become just, who have become righteous by faith shall live. And so, Paul's explaining what this salvation is. It saves us from the death we deserve in our unrighteous sins and grants us life by faith. We're actually made just. We're made righteous by faith. So, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, which, just get this with me, I'm going to use the word righteous a lot, but track with me on this. The righteousness of God is not only that God is righteous, but that He is righteous to grant righteousness to the unrighteous who trust in their righteous Savior. Do you track with that? And that even when God grants that righteousness to sinners who trust in the righteous one who died for them, God remains righteous because their sins have been paid for, you see. And so, the righteousness of God in the gospel is just magnified. It's revealed. It's exploded. With light and understanding, and we grasp that the righteousness of God isn't just this cold, distant God who always does what's right, but the righteousness of God actually moves towards sinners and righteouses them. <laughs> okay, that word's made up. <laughs> By sending his Son, who never sinned, he took our unrighteousness upon himself. And paid for it all so that the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God on sin was satisfied. Jesus paid for it all. And then God remains righteous by giving righteousness to the one who has faith in Jesus. That is cool stuff. Talk about a a solid truth to create unity in a church. Talk about the power of God to save Talk about a message that can create fruit in the body of Christ and among those who've never heard it, no wonder Paul wasn't ashamed. Boldness is rooted in the power of the gospel, which is rooted in the truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again and reveals the powerful righteousness of God, which righteousnesses sinners in a righteous way. (laughs) This is powerful stuff. And just like it led to Paul's excitement about preaching the gospel, so too it ought to make us all evangelists ready to share this powerful message with a world that desperately needs to be made right with God. And he's made a way. As I mentioned in our prayer early in the service, yesterday was the funeral for uh, one of our members, Bill Wright. Bill had a number of health issues that uh, kept him from coming to church in his later days. But even before that, the the Subra family had uh, gone to do the interim pastorate over in Adel Sunrise Baptist Church. And so we hadn't seen Bill too often in recent days here. But if you knew Bill, you didn't have to talk to him long to hear him talk to you about the gospel. Or share his testimony with you or ask you about your testimony Bill was an evangelist. He may or may not have been you know, born with that gift, and it's just in his personality, but I think more than that, it was just that he really loved his Savior. In the funeral yesterday, they played a, a little recording of Bill uh, sharing his testimony. And it was just so sweet to listen to that. Just this matter-of-fact description of how he was a sinner. As a little boy, he tried to be a good boy, but he just couldn't. <laughs> couldn't earn his way to heaven and just described how God brought a knowledge of the gospel in his life and he trusted in Jesus Christ to be his savior. Bill wasn't just, you know, empowered like the apostle Paul. He wasn't named an apostle. He's just a guy who was a sinner who had trusted in Jesus as his savior. And because he believed in the power of the gospel, he loved to share it with other people we could all do that. If we believe in the power of the gospel, if we understand what this message really means, and it's all about what Jesus did for us, I think we would develop a boldness that we had not experienced before. Indeed, Sometimes we are, quote-unquote, evangelists about other things, right? Our favorite product or this deal that we found or uh, this, you know, supplement that we've started taking or this or that or the other thing, right? Whatever, and we're just excited to tell everybody, oh, man, it's so great. But if we understood and believed the power of the gospel, I wonder if our boldness would develop with it as well. As we... Draw to a close, I need to give one last invitation to those of you who may be here today who have not trusted in Christ as Savior. The Apostle Paul is very clear in this text there are just two types of people in the world, and it's not Greeks and barbarians. (laughs) The two types of people in the world are, are those who have found salvation by trusting in the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. Or, People are growing in the message of the gospel. Those who've already trusted and are continuing to be matured by that gospel message as they grow in the Christian life. We have believers in Jesus and unbelievers, those who've not yet believed in Jesus. And so I want to invite you, maybe this is the first time you've heard of God's incredible love for you that simply by faith, You can have your sins washed away and be granted the righteousness of God and be made right with Him. This gospel message is an evidence of God's love for you, and we saw it in the text as well. It's for everyone, which means that when God provided that gospel message, when He sent His Son, He knew of you. He knew that you would be here this Sunday. He knew that you'd be listening to this gospel message And there's a sense in which you can even take it as the invitation of God to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, to have your sins forgiven, to be born again, to become a member of the family of God, and to delight in the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ because you too have been made right with God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you trust in Him today? If you have believed in Christ as your Savior, then I encourage you to lean into the gospel in your life. Develop boldness as you study it and know it and learn it more. Be prepared to talk about that gospel message with others. And begin to let the gospel shape the way you see people. That everyone around you is either someone who needs to be encouraged in the gospel (laughs) to grow and to be strengthened and you can encourage each other in your mutual faith or they need to hear the gospel for the first time and understand that there's a God who has righteously made a way for them to be righteous. (laughs) The gospel truth is powerful. Let it shape the way that you love people. Not only your brothers and sisters here in this body but those you interact with on a daily basis. Father, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. We marvel at your incredible power to offer righteousness to sinful people. Yes, as a free gift, but also as one with an enormous cost. We don't have to pay that cost. Instead, the Lord Jesus Christ paid it in our place. Having paid for our sin in full, He rose from the grave and has ascended to your right hand where we look to Him and serve Him and as His body seek to be representatives of His love and specifically the gospel truth that any who trust in Christ find find salvation in His name. And so we pray for those that may need to believe in Him today that they would humble themselves and take care of that matter even now. We pray for those who have trusted in Christ, Father, that you would deepen our unity and love and care for one another and for the lost as we see one another through the gospel. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory.